I'm Ron Edwards, host of the Edwards Notebook, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap into the Truth. Right here, right now, there is no other place I want to be. Right here, right now, watching the world wake up from of Tap Into The Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever-so-humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, and I am coming to you from lovely, beautiful, scenic, and, of course, historic Roan County, Tennessee. We are not too far off from Knox County, meaning that uh, we're just down the road a piece from Knoxville. For those of you not too familiar with the location and uh, you know we get to have all the fun uh, that comes with living in East Tennessee including uh, Mother Nature apparently needing to uh, up her doses of Prozac as we've been all over the place uh, with weather lately uh, having 70 degree days uh, with uh, snow right smack dab in between them it's been wild and it is of course March the 20th, time of the live broadcast, for those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast. 
And uh, since it is nearing the end of March, that means the madness that comes with this month is well underway. So how many of you folks still have brackets that uh, are still counting? I'll tell you, it is happening more and more frequently. Uh, (laughs) I, I don't know what to say. It used to be that I could normally get into the Sweet 16 before my brackets would be flat-out busted. But it has been eh, four, maybe five years now since I've gotten through the first round. In fact, at a couple of occasions, the the first games that the NCAA doesn't want you to call play-in games that pretty much the rest of us call play-in games, even though a couple of the seedings are for number 12 seed and... So I guess technically that is a way around it actually being a play-in game. Kind of weird, though. These days I'm having a hard time just getting past those first four games. It's just, I don't know. The parity among athletics in Division I is getting stronger and stronger all the time. These teams are getting better and better. And one can never account for when a team is playing red hot coming in at the end. And when a team maybe is floundering a little bit, even though they should be much better, uh, winning is a habit. And the psychology of sports when it comes to winning uh, that makes you susceptible to losing to teams that should not be able to beat you, well, those things come into play too. Ultimately, we tend to forget these are college students. These are uh, 17- to 23-year-olds. These are young people. Young adults about to make their way through the world. Now, very few folks get to play uh, Division I-level sports at just 17. But uh, you can be 17 and a freshman going into college, and so it's been known to happen on occasion. Obviously, lots of stuff going on. And my conference, uh, the SEC conference, as not fared as well as I would like. Kentucky getting bounced out in the first round. Uh, who saw that coming? Except, of course, for Bands, who's the team that bounced them out. Uh, the good guys in orange, they uh, managed to win their first round game, but then uh, they lost a close one against uh, against Michigan here just, just yesterday. Ah, just so heartbreaking. Uh, the good guys in orange... Uh, matched up very well against just about everybody in this tournament. And it just fell a little short for a team that uh, comes in to the tournament. This Michigan team under Juwan Howard, who's had plenty of controversy both on and off the court uh, coming down the stretch, who hadn't won back-to-back games uh, since the middle of February. Uh, Win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Uh, That kind of inconsistency in play. Uh, you really would think that a red-hot team like the Volunteers would have been able to uh, ride through this newfound uh, energy that uh, Michigan's had. But, uh, you know, it was just just not enough. It wasn't to be. Lady Vols are still in uh, the dance over on the women's side of the tournament, so uh, definitely be watching to see how that plays out. And, uh, you know, just want to... Just want to point out while NCAA championships are going on, the women's championship uh, for swimming uh, they uh, finished up this past weekend, and Miss Leah Thompson, or AKA Mister Leah, 
as I like to call him now, uh, he cleaned up. I mean, he, he did end up losing, and I'm going to continue to call him a he because he is a bio, biological male. Ended up losing in one race, which I tend to think probably was just a little intentional. I don't think he was giving his best in that one. Uh, we do know that he colluded earlier in the regular season in a match, tried to make a uh, biological female who identifies as a male but was still swimming as a female and let her win and let her beat him. A very strange situation. Uh, I mentioned that. Because I do think that we are seeing some pushback from adults. Uh, we're seeing some pushback from the athletes. Uh, we saw pictures that uh, made a statement. Pictures with Leah off by themselves. Uh, and then the grouping of second, third, and fourth place all together as if they were the first, second, and third place finishers. And because they were biological females competing in the women's swimming uh, that really should be the way it was there was a lot of acknowledgement I think from the crowds there we you could audibly hear if you watch video from the uh, competition at the announcement of uh, placement and finishes there was not a lot of appreciation for Leah and as well there should not be I, I think common sense may be about to return here but before that happens you're going to have to push your way through the cancel culture that the left continues to use to browbeat most of us into submission. So, guys, stand up. And be prepared for these folks to come after you. A group of, uh, not a group of, but a, a pair of parents that were interviewed on Fox News were talking about how uh, they didn't feel it was fair that their daughter was having to compete against uh, a biological male. How a lot of the students, athletes, felt the same way but were afraid to speak up. Afraid because they didn't want the cancel culture to come for them. That's what requires acts of courage. These, these two were already bombarded on social media as being homophobic and transphobic and phobophobic. Uh, when, in essence, all they really cared about was the well-being of their daughter who had worked hard to compete in what should be an even and equal playing field amongst women. There's a reason why we divided athletics into male and female in the first place. Now, most people in this modern age, under the age of 23, do not want to acknowledge that uh, that difference even exists. They don't want to acknowledge that that reason should exist. They want to believe for any point in time and let them that one is just as capable as another. And when it comes right down to it, it's just not true. There are differences between men and women. There are things that women can do much better than men. There are things that men can do much better than women. There are some things, very few, where they can equally be just as good as one another. But those things do not show up very frequently in the world of athletic competition. Athletic competition has been created to provide opportunities through scholarships and through contracts in professional sports just to provide opportunity for women to be able to do something that they love and to garner some merit for all the hard work they put into it. 
and there's no two ways about it, no matter how you look at it, no matter how you slice it into tiny little pieces and dissect it, Leah and any other male competing in female sports are taking opportunities away from women and young girls who, while these opportunities may not have that much bearing in their overall life later on, still should have those opportunities because they were set aside for women. As a father of girls, I hope that they'd be able to hold their own against anyone regardless of what the circumstance is. I hope that they would be willing to take on the challenge. But at the same time, I know when it comes to athletic competition, I want my girls going up against other girls because that's what's fair in athletics. And having been a former athlete myself, I understand why fairness matters in sports more than somebody who maybe uh, just watches occasionally or just has a kid that plays. Fairness matters, and even playing field matters, because when you are going head-to-head -head against somebody who may be naturally more talented than you, the last thing you need is somebody who you can't possibly hope to meet their muscle strength or their uh, their aerobic capabilities. And when it comes down to those factors, that can mean all the difference in competition. It's, it's just a shame. But like I said, see, hope. Now, let's jump into some uh, stories here. I'm not going to look at very many quick hits. Just wanted to talk briefly. Uh, my interest in the big dance on the men's side is pretty much dissipated with the good guys in Orange County. But a lot of great games, though. A lot of great games so far. Very competitive, very close. Uh, more overtime games than we've seen in a while. So if you're a fan of uh, collegiate basketball, you've had a lot of good stuff to watch. I, I will not be uh, avoiding watching more games as we move on, but just heartbroken. The good guys in Orange are coming home. All right, like I said, let's let's jump right in. Okay, got a story here. Uh, for those of you that may not be aware, last year, uh, the city of Philadelphia, you know, the city of brotherly love, uh, Philadelphia City Council passed an ordinance uh, that is called the Achieving Driving Equality. Now, first of all, I'm going to give kudos and props for the word use of equality because, you know, we've pretty much seen equity replace equality just about everywhere. That's as far as I'm going to give props to this, though, because it's anything but you know, we all know how this game's played. Now, this particular bill, which was signed into law for the city back in October of last year, and is going into effect, actually has already gone into effect, I should say, happened earlier this month. Well, it keeps the Philadelphia Police Department from stopping drivers who are violating certain aspects of the Pennsylvania Vehicle Code. Now, unfortunately, uh, this ordinance ignores common sense. It stops the police department from enforcing the duly enacted laws of Pennsylvania. And it disregards established precedent from the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, basically, the city's kind of joined the Philadelphia District Attorney, uh, Larry Kessner, in fostering disorder and, and lawlessness in the city of brotherly love. 
Now, to understand the ordinance, it's important to review why vehicle codes exist. In Pennsylvania, drivers must register their cars to get them inspected regularly. Drivers must display their license plates on their cars so that they can be identified. They must maintain working lights and, and operate vehicles with bumpers. Nobody wants a defective car with no lights and no identification crashing through the streets of Philadelphia, or anywhere else for that matter. Moreover, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously held that if police observe an actual vehicle code violation, they can stop the driver, even if the police were using the stop to check for other criminal conduct. That's kind of a big deal. Now, of course, the police are not allowed to just pull someone over based solely on their race, their age, or any other protected status. Under the newly enacted ordinance, well, things change a little bit. See, the city now forbids the police from stopping a vehicle for an expired registration or for lights being out on the vehicle or for a license plate not being secured in the regular position on the back of the car. You're not allowed to pull them over for operating without valid inspection or for a bumper violation, for having material that obstructs views out of the car from the front, side, or rear view windows. And for other violations. Now, uh, Philadelphia's Democratic Majority City Council, Mayor Jim Kennedy, I'm sorry, Jim Kenny, not Kennedy, my, my apologies, Jim, and the Public Defender's Office, which helped to craft this ordinance, well, they stated that the bill's purpose was to stop an allegedly disproportionate number of minority drivers from being pulled over for such infractions. Now, Philadelphia is the first major city in the United States to adopt a blanket ban on such traffic stops. It's apparent that none of Philadelphia's officers have bothered to take a statistics course. They fail to acknowledge that there may, in fact, be more minority drivers who are violating these vehicle laws in Philadelphia than non-minority drivers. If that's the case, then the police are simply pulling over the people who are violating the law, regardless of the race. Now, heaven forbid, that, that can't be true. Right? That can't be a possibility. There's no way that could be uh, even a remote possibility. Right? <laughs> yes, we'll just look at basic statistics. Statistically speaking, it's mostly minority drivers being pulled over for these violations. Aha, racism. Proved it. Gotcha. Except uh, not so fast there, my friend. If you statistically have more minority drivers that are violating these laws, then you would expect to see a higher number of minority drivers pulled over for these violations. That is what they call, back where I come from, common sense. But as you well know, that's not allowed. That officially makes me uh, a bigoted racist hater, right? The fact that I tried to pull the common sense card. <laughs> okay. So, in a famous and uh, some would say controversial study of driving habits on major highways in New Jersey, 
The Justice Department found that minority drivers were speeding much more often than white drivers, possibly explaining, explaining why the police were issuing more speeding tickets to those minority drivers. Besides this major theoretical flaw, the novel Philadelphia bill may have disastrous and long-lasting practical consequences for safety in an ever more violent city. Consider just a few scenarios. Let's, let's move ourselves into the realm of what might be. Now, granted, we don't often play this game here. I, I don't like playing the what-if game too frequently, but every now and then it's, it's worth doing the mental exercise, right? Let's say that a Philadelphia police officer sees a, a battered old SUV driving without an inspection sticker. In San Diego... A police officer would stop the car and check it for safety. But in Philadelphia, under this achieving driving equality bill, the police officer has to let the, US, the SUV keep going. See, it turns out that the SUV didn't have an inspection sticker because it was riding on bald tires and had defective brakes. It had failed inspection. So two days later... The driver of the SUV tries to slam on his brakes when three little kids run across an intersection on Cobbs Creek Pathway, uh, Parkway, I'm sorry. Now the brakes fail. The SUV hurdles through the intersection and three children are, well, speed bumps now. And not very good speed bumps. No inspection sticker because they failed. Are you following? Not allowed to pull them over. Because, statistically, it's more likely that that is a minority driver in that vehicle. Public safety. Just, just a word I'm throwing out there for you to ponder. Uh, let's, let's, let's spend a little time on another scenario. A Philadelphia police officer sees a, a dark-colored Ford Fusion operating without a license plate on the rear bumper. You know, because the bumper's missing. Now, instead, the car has temporary tags tucked up into the back window. Now, in Dallas, you know, over in Texas, a, a, a blue city in a very red state. In Dallas, the police would pull the car over. Under Philadelphia's new law, the police are not allowed to conduct a traffic stop, identify and cite the driver, and fix the violation. Now, two days later, police are reviewing video from a drive-by shooting in North Philadelphia with what looks like the same car carrying the shooters. But there's no visible license plate in the video to check and see to whom the car is registered. And the traffic stop to identify who was driving the car never happened. Another Philadelphia homicide goes unsolved. Shame, shame, shame. Hey, just for fun, I mean, since we're having so much fun here, what about another scenario? Let's, let's, if you'll indulge me, one more time. A Philadelphia detective is, is staking out a notorious drug house. You know, one that's known for sending kilos of fentanyl-laced heroin to the, the infamous streets of Philly's Kensington neighborhood. The defective, the defective, <laughs> English is my first language, I swear. The detective sees a male with three prior convictions for drug trafficking jump into a car in front of the house. 
carrying two duffel bags of what is likely to be drugs. The car isn't displaying any registration. In New York City, in New York City, a detective would pull the car over for the registration violation and try to develop probable cause to search the bags. Now in Philadelphia, the detective has to watch the drug dealer and the drugs disappear, driving off into the sunset, waving bye-bye as it goes. Hmm. Am I done yet? I don't know. Let's... Let's spend a little more time. Uh, let's say in Gray's Ferry section of Philadelphia. A man with an open arrest warrant for a homicide gets into his girlfriend's car late one night. He's carrying a stolen gun, one used in a homicide. Unknown to him, the car he's driving has a broken taillight. He passes four police cars as he drives from West Philly through Center City and then up to North Philadelphia. Which, of course, is where he ditches the gun with a friend. In Miami, he would have been stopped for the taillight violation, then arrested for the homicide, and the gun from the homicide would have been recovered. In Philadelphia, this murderer gets to drive blissfully by the police, just driving right by. Might as well wave, might as well lower the window and smile at the police officers and the cruiser parked on the side of the road because the cycle of violence, it must be allowed to continue for another night because of equality slash equity slash leftist lack of common sense. See, and, and here's the worst part. I really do try, and it's getting harder and harder to do this, but I really do try to just basically equate incompetency instead of malice with the majority of the actions from politicians, especially local politicians, because the closer you are to the people and the closer you are to living in the communities that are directly affected by your decisions, the more I think you generally want to do the right thing. But as a victim of public education and leftist indoctrination, maybe you just don't know what that is. So I will give incompetence and ignorance the nod over true evil in a lot of these instances. But like I said, it's getting harder and harder to do that. But with that in mind, I'm willing to say that Philadelphia's politicians may very well have had good intentions when they passed this achieving driving equality bill. But the new measure rests on flawed statistical assumptions, and, and that's putting it as politely and as diplomatically as I can. But more so than that, the ordinance is essentially stripping the police of a vital law enforcement tool, one that has passed muster at the Supreme Court on multiple occasions. Aided and abetted by the Public Defender's Office, the City Council has decided to hobble police just as Philadelphia is experiencing a record-breaking number of homicides with dead bodies continuing to stack up every single day. Literally getting in the running for daily murders uh, with Chicago. The new law is intended to shield minorities from receiving traffic citations. 
these same minority citizens are overwhelmingly the victims of the deadly lawlessness currently menacing the city, a lawlessness that this wrong-headed legislation will only worsen. Sometimes the best way to get out of a hole is to put down the shovel. City Council and Mayor Kenny, you guys need to get your act together. You need to realize that you are on the wrong page with this one. Correct your course. It's overdue. With that, I'm going to go ahead and take the mid-hour break, and then we'll get back at it on the other side. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. And counting. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, the coffee you want in your cup. The one thing that thugs and law abiding sovereign Americans have in common is, for the most part, we all want to keep living. But unfortunately, in far too many American cities, criminal thuggery has increased dramatically, primarily because leftist-oriented government officials have in many cases almost given permission to thugs to wreak havoc, like the homeless thug in Seattle who threw a woman down a flight of stairs near the Amazon headquarters. The thug who tossed the Seattle woman down the stairs had 22 previous criminal offenses, most of them against other people. Leftist Democrat mayors are on a madman mission to help George Soros and other globalist pigs create a chaotic environment, hoping that sovereign Americans will throw up their hands and demand a national police force. But thank goodness everyone hasn't gone to Nutsville. Take the Republican-dominated House legislature, an example in Ohio. They passed a bill signed by Ohio Governor Mike DeWine that allows people to carry concealed firearms without government permit which makes it easier for sovereign individuals to defend themselves against knuckle-dragging thugs. I'm Ron Edwards. For Constitutional Grounds Coffee, simply go to theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Come on, man. All men and women created by gold. You know the, you know the thing. Line dog face pony soldier. 
I got hairy legs. Break it down in layman's terms. So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. If regime leader Biden and his cronies truly desire to alleviate the current petrol prices, he would have by now. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. The fact that Biden would rather beg Venezuela and Iran for oil than simply restore the free market liberties that were present during the presidency of Donald Trump, and in mere weeks the United States would be energy independent again, But most people are unaware or don't seem to care that Biden has been on an evil mission to undermine the United States ever since he was first elected to office in 1972. Biden has, like many Democrats and rhino Republicans, have used a variety of issues, policies and methods to undermine our number one position in the world via the Green Movement, poking the Russian bear by working with NATO nations and Ukraine to undermine border agreements made with Russia years ago. Biden's open border policies, security disaster number one. I believe it's designed to enable millions of foreign criminals to combine with Biden's destructive policies to permanently damage our republic beyond repair. Do you miss Trump yet? I'm Ron Edwards. For Constitutional Grounds Coffee, simply go to the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. You're listening to Tap Into the Truth. My name's Joe Biden. I keep forgetting I'm president. Rise and shine, sleepy Joe. Now's the time, don't you know, to get into You can rest your head on the corner of your bed. You can watch the world go by. But you're never gonna see what the other people see if you're always gonna be a lying dog face pony soldier. And I am a lying dog face pony soldier, whatever that is actually means. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through the break. We continue on as we try to keep the republic together, trying to help prevent it from falling. And I do want to send a special shout out to my friend Rod Edwards, kind enough once again to have me on his show. And we had a uh, fun conversation as always. Uh, always great to be over on the Ron Edwards American Experience, uh, which you can hear uh, basically Sunday through Fridays uh, on a multitude of platforms. You just need to go visit theronedwards.com to, to find out more. And you can listen to him live or you can check out uh, all the archive shows. I'm pretty sure you can find those pretty much on Spreaker.com. Uh, I, there may be a few other places, including over at his website, but, you know, just go check it out. You'll find a lot of conversations going on over there between he and I. Let's jump right into things we were talking just a minute ago. Well, Ron was talking in his Edwards notebook from last week about how if Joe Biden wanted to do the right thing when it came to uh, energy 
prices here in the United States, he could do it. Well, there's a bit of breaking news on that, and it's kind of interesting. So let's spend some time focusing on that uh, for the remainder of this first hour, shall we? seems the Biden administration is very likely to resume new oil and gas drilling leases on federal lands after they won a temporary victory in federal court. According to Bloomberg News, uh, in a report from this past Friday, uh, the Department of the Interior would use and would not use it. Well, they're going to resume its plans for new oil and gas drilling after a three-judge panel on the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a stay on a lower court's ruling that blocked the administration from using a higher social cost of carbon in its environmental analysis. Essentially, and I know a lot of you tune out when I mention this, but part of the great reset is the use of this ESG scoring. And this is part of the S in the SG scoring. They want to utilize this because... They want to uh, cherry-pick who they're going to allow to receive these new leases based on how they're going to treat the environment and based on the reputation of the company that's going to be getting them, uh, which in turn also means their ability to be controlled by the current administration. Uh, don't doubt me on this, but if you do, uh, take a few minutes, do your research. It really will only take a few minutes. So they want to use a higher social cost of carbon in all of their analysis in deciding who's going to get this. Uh, quoting here, with this ruling, the department continues its planning for responsible oil and gas development on America's public lands and waters. That's, of course, spokeswoman for the Interior Department, Melissa Schwartz. Melissa said in a statement emailed to Bloomberg, quote, calculating the social cost of greenhouse gas emissions provides important information that has been part of the foundation of the work the Interior Department has undertaken over the past year. The Washington Post reported the decision on Wednesday saying the following, quoting from them, the ruling by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit stayed an order issued last month by U.S. District Court judge in Louisiana that prevented agencies from considering the harm climate change causes, known as the social cost of carbon. Now, this figure is used across the federal government in rulemaking, from issuing new drilling permits to assessing the growing potential for damage such a crop loss or flood risk uh, may impose. The decision means that, at least until there's a ruling on the case's merits, the Biden administration can continue to consider the economic cost of climate change as it writes new rules and strengthens existing ones uh, that could, well, you know, it could inch the country closer to Biden's goal of cutting emissions in half by the end of the decade compared with the 2005 levels. All right, so there's a number of energy-producing states and industry groups that had sued the Biden administration back in February over its adjustments to the so-called social cost of carbon in the environmental analysis, specifically those that relate to fossil fuel programs and fossil fuel production. According to the Washington Post, Biden actually dramatically increased 
the estimated social cost of carbon, increased it up to $51 per ton of carbon dioxide released into the air from between $1 and $7 estimated by the Trump administration. The states and industrial groups argued that the lawsuit, uh, that the, uh, the new estimates could cost hundreds of billions or even trillions of dollars and may be the most significant regulatory encroachment upon individual liberty and state sovereignty in American history. Now, those are some pretty bold claims. But when you look at it overall, when you consider how many different things are affected by the cost of energy, maybe that might actually be an understatement. Now, federal, 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 let me enunciate, federal district judge James J. Kane issued a preliminary injunction blocking the Biden administration from using the higher estimate. Instead of using the lower estimate, the administration responded by shutting down all new oil and gas leases while it appealed the decision. Now, the reason they did this is they were using it as an excuse. There's a law in place that says they actually have to issue these. The decision impacted a number of oil and gas leases, including a huge oil lease uh, of some 170,000 acres in Wyoming. The Biden administration has repeatedly claimed that its energy policies are not to blame for, you know, the skyrocketing energy cost and the U.S. consumers feeling it in their wallet, you know. Uh, they keep arguing that the U.S. has 9,000 unused drilling permits for oil and gas. But uh, according to industry experts, uh, they've noted that uh, such a claim kind of lacks context. It, it may be true, but there's a lot of missing information that kind of makes a difference here. However... Biden shut down the Keystone XL pipeline on his first day in office. And the administration has previously recommended much stricter regulations for new leases apart from the social cost of carbon. Congressional leaders from both parties have criticized Biden for not doing enough to stimulate domestic energy, especially in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. What does this ultimately mean? Is there anything... Anything at all that matters in this scenario? Is this a good thing? Well, Biden is going to claim it is. All of Biden's little people, his little minions, are going to claim it's a good thing. See, now we can get back to the business of uh, having new leases offered up on public lands. We're going we're gonna to finally work hard to move forward fighting back against the Putin uh, price hike. That's what they're calling it. Except that's not really what's going to happen, is it? They literally shut the program down, even though it's required by law, rather than move forward with these leases utilizing a reasonable set of guidelines. They want the higher cost of carbon so that they are able to cherry pick exactly who they do allow to have these leases so that they can cherry pick what they're actually doing while they still will be claiming 
to be in compliance with the law that requires them to issue new leases. It's really all a do about nothing. It's political theater. Something that the Democrats are pretty good at. Or at least they used to be. Now it's become so obvious it's getting harder and harder for them to come up with a production that uh, very many of the American people will buy, including those that are on Team Blue. The folks that who, who have been on Team Blue for a long time now are seeing this, and they can't help but wonder why they have allowed themselves to be manipulated so badly. Now granted, not all of them, but more and more are waking up every day. So now you have Team Blue. So what's going on? It is absurd to think for one second that this is a plus. Because it's not. But that's what is going to be touted. If you hear this story reported at all this week, you are probably going to hear mainstream legacy media talk about how they won the case in court, that the uh, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is in agreement with them, and moving forward, they'll be able to comply with the law, to issue new leases, and still protect the future from climate change. That's the way this is going to be spun. But it's going to be one more effort to keep people that's actually going to use these lands in a productive fashion to allow us to get more reliable, cheap energy to fuel our economy and to reduce all of the cost that inflation is pushing down on the American people and continue to blame all of these other negative aspects in the economy on Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. Russia's so bad. It's mind-numbing. But anyway, watch for it if it gets reported at all. And this is the kind of story where it's probably going to stay below the radar. So if you're not a news junkie, you may not even see this. It may be an afterthought, something back on page 22 of the paper. I, I don't know. Uh, one more uh, story that I really would like to get into this first hour, especially since for those of you that are listening on terrestrial radio, you're probably uh, getting hour number one on Monday and then hour number two on Tuesday. I wanted to get this in. The last time I was behind this microphone, I was talking about uh, Biden in an effort to buy off uh, assistance and, and compliance from Iran. I was talking about uh, removing some of the Iranian extremists off of the, uh, the foreign terrorist organization list. Well... Let's take a peek at how that's already working out for the world, shall we? seems that one of the groups of the Iranian-backed extremists that Joe Biden removed from the official foreign terrorist organization list, well, they've reportedly launched attacks against Saudi Arabia over the weekend. The Saudi-led coalition said early on Sunday that the Iran-aligned Houthi group launched four attacks on the kingdom that damaged civilian cars and homes but caused no casualties. That's according to uh, Reuters. The Saudi state news agency said one attack targeted a water distillation plant in the uh, city of Al-Shakakir. I'm probably butchering that. My East Tennessee tongue doesn't twist very good in Arabic languages. I apologize. A... Uh, Anyway, it attacked a power station in southern uh, Duran al 
Judd Oob, and uh, a, a gas facility in another part of town. Now, the Saudi-led coalition also said that the uh, largest attacks included the use of ballistic missiles, drones, and cruise missiles. They said that they were monitoring enemy drone activity and had shot down a ballistic missile that targeted civilians. Now, under the Trump administration, they had designated this group of terrorists as a foreign terrorist organization and a specially designated global terrorist uh, under the leadership of former Secretary Mike Pompeo. The Biden administration quickly reversed the terrorist designation after taking office back in early 2021 for this particular group. The Council on Foreign Relations said, quote, the main defense of the Trump administration's decision to call the Houthis terrorist is that they repeatedly commit acts of terrorism. <clears throat> Anybody else find that humorous? Okay. Uh, QED. And the main critique of the Biden administration's uh, removing that designation is equally simple. Uh, the group has long committed and continue to commit acts of terror, they should be designated as FTO because they are an FTO. Okay. So these designations will provide additional tools to confront terrorist activity and terrorism by the group. I, again, find myself scratching my head. Not only did Biden lift the terrorist designation on these Yemeni terrorists, but he also announced in 2021 that the U.S. would no longer support Saudi Arabia's war against the terrorists. Now, I mentioned this because, number one, we literally just had the conversation about him wanting to remove this designation from other Iranian-backed terrorist organizations. But we are also talking about why is it that Saudi Arabia is now cozying up to China instead of remaining a U.S. ally. Well, it's because of this. You can't cozy up with Iran and expect Saudi Arabia to be your friend. Because you can't be Iran's friend and Saudi Arabia's friend and expect everybody to play nice. They have been fighting a direct war and a stealth war through proxies for quite a while now, mostly through the proxies, but they have had a few direct conflicts here and there, and ultimately, the rhetoric that comes from both governments makes it quite clear. One does definitely does not see the other as being the right kind of Muslim. And in the culture of Iran's mullahs, that is grounds for, well, the death penalty. Saudi Arabia has become an enemy of the Iranian state by virtue of the path they go down. Now, it certainly doesn't help that they've allied themselves with the United States in the ongoing so-called war on terror, which has not exactly panned out very well. But the fact that everything that Joe Biden has done since taking office has made things harder on Saudi Arabia... Well, it certainly is reasonable grounds for why Saudi Arabia might have had their fill and might be saying, hey, you know what? 
United States isn't the only big kid on the block. And if the United States doesn't want to be our friend, then maybe somebody else will be, especially somebody else who just might be willing to be a, a better friend. Now, Saudi Arabia is wrong in that assessment as far as China being a better friend. China is only one person's friend, and that is China. China is China's friend. That's it. But this is a move that very well could lead to the destruction of the U.S. dollar as a international reserve currency. We've touched on this a little before. And again, the question comes back, is this a matter of incompetence on Joe Biden or is this a plan? Is this part of the effort to destroy the United States from within? Because the primary reason the world still looks at the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency internationally is because Saudi Arabia has stated you must purchase their energy in the form of U.S. dollars. Whatever you have, you have to convert it to U.S. dollars, then you can buy the oil. Pretty simple. Pretty good, long-standing relationship as far as the fiat currencies involved for the United States. Whenever you have a fiat currency, you have to work really, really hard to establish that there is, in fact, some intrinsic value, that that value is going to hold up over time, that there's going to be a reason, that there is something that's backing that fiat currency. That's why we had the gold standard for a long time here. That's why we eventually moved it to the silver standard. And, of course, we had foreign governments that would just save up U.S. dollars, save up U.S. dollars, and then show up and say, okay, we want to exchange this for the gold, or then later for the silver. And then we were like, okay, well, we need a better plan here so that foreign entities don't just show up and take all of our treasure. So the petrodollar, as it's often referred to, has essentially become the, the sole value, uh, the, the store of value uh, contingent, backing up what makes U.S. dollars worth having on the international markets. If you want to do business with Saudi Arabia, you go there. Now, China had been for a long time wanting to negotiate with Saudi Arabia to get them to let them use their currency. Just let us use our currency directly. And, of course, what would happen is if they do that, then other countries could then choose whether or not they wanted to use U.S. dollars or the Chinese currency. Once you've established that and you look at the economic policies that have been enacted by this administration and the fiscal policies that are being enacted by the Fed, why would the U.S. dollar have any value in international markets if you have an option? So again, scratching my head and wondering aloud, is this a bug or is this the feature? Is this incompetence or is this evil? said earlier, I am getting, sometimes it's getting harder and harder to, to tell. I want, I want to give folks the benefit of the doubt and say that it's just incompetence. It's just ignorance. It's just inability to do the job that they've been entrusted with. But sometimes you, you look at it and you have to say that somebody with the level of experience and the time on the job that some of these folks have had, 
the the notion of an unintended consequence seems pretty far-fetched. They have enough experience having seen how this works out when they've done it before. They know exactly how to tweak the economy to make it work and how to make it stall. How to overheat it, how to cool it off. They know exactly, and they've known for a long time now. So it does become kind of difficult to sit back and say, okay, yeah, obviously this is a result of just, you know, bad circumstances. An unintended consequence. How could we have known this would happen except for the fact that there are a lot of people who know exactly what's going to happen? And they're in positions to advise, and in some cases, they're in positions to make decisions. So let's hold those folks accountable, especially the ones that are part of the bureaucracy, part of the real deep state, the folks that are not directly answerable to the American people because they don't get to be elected. They're appointed, and then they get to hang on to their jobs for freaking ever. These are the folks we got to weed out. And that's going to have to be it for the first hour. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for being here. And if I'm saying goodbye to you over at places like KYAH 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority, just as an example, then uh, remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and, most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. If you're listening to the podcast, don't go anywhere. Hour number two will start right after this. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, let's go, hey. let's go, let's go, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. She was from a blue state clan, taught to praise the little man. Told that unions saved the working class He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees they said their vows He couldn't say when couldn't say how, couldn't say why, she was different in his eyes. They built careers and had a kid, tried to live like their parents did, but both their parties taxed them close to death. They learned to hate the public schools, Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She, she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why He was different in her eyes Saw them years ago A happy little cabin in the west So much more from so much less
You're listening to Tap into the Truth. My name's Joe Biden. All of this, as more than half of Americans think President Biden will go down as one of the worst presidents in American history. I keep forgetting I'm president. Use them any way you can. I know you won't break the rules. There aren't any. Thank you for your cooperation. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are in the Thunderdome. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tap into the Truth. Uh, with you as always, I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap. Even when I'm in the Thunderdome, I'm still mostly peaceful. That's the definition as we understand mostly peaceful uh, from, you know, uh, the mainstream legacy media when it comes to certain types of protests slash riots. I mean protests. No, I meant riots. It is indeed I, and I do hope that you are having a fantastic day, no matter where you are and whatever you're doing, uh, with all the usual caveats, of course. 
Time of the Light broadcast, in case you're listening to a rebroadcast somewhere and maybe not aware, uh, this was Sunday, March the 20th of 2022. Uh, glad to have you on board. Uh, and uh, yeah, here we are. I was thinking before, and I've said so on air before, and it uh, kind of came to mind again when I was visiting with Ron Edwards on uh, his Sunday broadcast of the Ron Edwards American Experience. Uh, he said, man, oh, man, there's so many things happening. And I find myself starting a lot of these broadcasts uh, saying the same thing. Oh, so many things happening. And at the end of the day, we've seen this be the case since, well, since Donald Trump uh, first came down the escalator and announced that he was going to be running for president. And this time, he was serious. You know, he'd done it before, so obviously he thought about it. And I don't know if he talked himself out of it or somebody else talked him out of it. But, you know, he'd made the announcement before. It seemed like a, a publicity stunt. And I myself kind of thought uh, this go-around that it was probably the same thing, that, that it was a case of him feeling like he could do something, but also felt like it was a way to just keep his name out there, keep him relevant, and keep both his businesses branding uh, strong and to uh, continue to draw ratings for uh, his reality TV show. I was mistaken. He was serious this time. Nobody talked him out of it and he moved forward. But the news cycle has been that way since that beginning. Uh, and part of why it's really struck, struck uh, a nerve with me and uh, struck home you know, I've been thinking this for a while. So many things going on. So many things going on. Uh, Ron said it earlier today when I was visiting with him. But then I also have heard a few other hosts, uh, some tier one and tier two hosts on various platforms that uh, have also been making the same uh, statement here recently. How in the past, it really was a case where if you wanted to have something to talk about outside of just what everybody else was talking about, you had to look long and hard. Then it required a lot of effort for show prep, especially if you happen to be somebody that was doing a daily show. Uh, I mean, if you were on air uh, on a Monday through Friday slot somewhere, uh, it, even if it was just one hour, you were having to rehash a lot of stuff from the previous day, maybe even from the previous week, and you could be in to Wednesday before there was really something new that was worth delving into and really digging up and get those kind of emotions that typically get the ratings up. And it just hasn't been that way. I you know when I first started doing this, I was doing it uh, once a week on Sunday, and I was basically just recapping the last week, and there would still be... Uh, some some weekends where I was having a hard time fitting all the segments that I did, like a, a headline you may have missed, and uh, the outrage of the week. Sometimes it was so hard to decide what most outrageous thing <laughs> happened. It's like, here's four of them. Uh, can't have a tie. I have to decide which one is the most outrageous thing. And now I honestly uh, sit here and I have to go through and decide which story am I going to include and which one I'm am I not. And, and I feel like almost every time I get behind the microphone uh, that I need to decide if I should go to three hours. And I, I don't think most of the listeners want to hear an extra hour of content in a single setting. And I know the 
the radio stations that rebroadcast the show probably don't want me going three hours in because then they're going to be hard-pressed to fit all three hours through the week and and it still be topical because, you know, news, so much is happening. But I feel like I'm letting folks down by not getting to a lot of stuff. And sometimes I, I will finish a broadcast and I'm thinking to myself, now maybe I should have done that other one instead of this one. This one may end up being a bigger thing, and sometimes I'm actually right about it. But it's just so wild to think about how many things are going on, and so few people are getting to to talk about all of them. And that's what makes platforms like the Daily Wire and the Blaze and the Daily Caller so good, uh, Breitbart News. Uh, These platforms are really good for conservatives who want good information, good journalistic reporting, and you get to read and you get to see a lot of this stuff. It's what used to make social media so good because you used to be able to have somebody that you trust kind of go through, curate, and decide all the things that they would like to share. In fact, lots of times that was uh, a big part of my show prep is in the mornings I'd be going through these different sites, some of which I barely even have time to visit all of them now, Uh, but would be going through all of these, and then I've got a plethora of stuff, okay, amongst all the stuff that's happened today, which ones do I want to talk about the most? And it was usually, it would make things easier because I spent some time looking at all of them, blah, 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 yackety-spackety. And uh, you guys probably don't want to hear about any of this. But at the end of the day, what I'm really saying is there's so much I would like to get to, and I just can't. I would like to spend a lot of time talking about how Kid Rock has come out and said that, uh, in talking to uh, Tucker Carlson, saying that he's uncancelable. And he he is. I, I honestly believe that. I'd like to spend a lot of time talking about um, this report coming from a nuclear watchdog group that was kind of on alert as we saw moving through the hills in the UK uh, a convoy, a military convoy that was moving at least a minimum of six nuclear warheads. This, while things are still ratcheting up in the... uh, We'll say conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, you know, when you know that one of the Western European nations is starting to move around convoys with nuclear weapons on them, uh, maybe, maybe NATO is trying to send a message that uh, if you escalate to biological, chemical, or tactical nuclear uh, operations, we're going to be ready to respond. Uh, in fact, I, there was a. Uh, headline earlier. Let me uh, see if I can find that headline again real quick. Yes, the NATO Secretary General said exactly what will happen if Russia uses chemical weapons in Ukraine. According to uh, the Secretary General of NATO, talking with NBC News uh, on Sunday, uh, today, time of the live broadcast, a couple of days ago, uh, if you're listening on terrestrial radio, saying that if Russia used chemical weapons in Ukraine, that it would be a blatant and brutal violation of international law, but it may not be enough to elicit a response from NATO. Essentially, NATO doesn't really want to get involved, and they probably shouldn't. Uh, Quoting here, Allies support Ukraine, but at the same time, it's extremely important that we prevent this conflict from becoming a full-fledged war between NATO and Russia because that would cause much more damage, much more death, destruction, 
than what we want to see, and certainly more than what we see in Ukraine right now. Russia is a nuclear power. President Putin is now conveying very dangerous nuclear rhetoric. And therefore, we're supporting Ukraine, but at the same time significantly increasing the military presence with the troops on land, at sea, and in the air. Germany and the UK have doubled their presence in the Baltic countries. The U.S. has now 100,000 troops there in Europe. And there are tens of thousands of troops in the Eastern Part Alliance to send a message that escalating beyond Ukraine will be met with a very firm response from the whole alliance. And by doing that, we're preventing a conflict, not provoking a conflict in Europe at the moment. Now, all that's a lot of pretty talk, but it comes around to meaning just about nothing. Because what are you really saying? If you use chemical weapons, that's a blatant violation of international law. Well, isn't most war a blatant violation of international law? Don't we have international laws in place? Not that they really have much bite or much meaning in most situations. But don't we have international laws that says uh, you're supposed to respect the sovereignty uh, of a neighboring nation? You're supposed to respect borders and boundaries and other peoples who may or may not be your direct neighbors? Isn't, isn't that part of international law? Isn't any war a violation of international law, technically? I mean, just throwing it out there, asking for a friend. Uh, maybe, maybe it isn't. Maybe there's some way you can fight a war with a nation, an actual honest-to-goodness war, without violating inter international law. Go through some crazy... A uh, bunch of statements, maybe having the U.N. sign off on it with a resolution authorizing a force in a situation, blah, blah, blah. But even then, just because a bunch of countries may get together and decide it's okay, does that really mean that you're not violating the international law that says, hey, respect sovereign borders? Hey, does it? I'm just, again, asking for a friend. Maybe maybe I'm the one who's missing something here. I, uh, I've been known to. Not perfect. Don't get it all right all the time. Most of the time I do pretty good, but every now and then I'll freely admit. Uh, human being here. Okay? I, not that if you're a regular listener of the show you have any question about that. Uh, is this guy fallible? Yes. Absolutely. Sometimes... Can't even get simple words out. Blah, 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 blah. All right. Uh, so anyway, uh, I would love to be able to give a lot of coverage to these type of stories. But uh, for some of this, you're going to get plenty of coverage in a lot of other media outlets. So you don't need one more person talking about it. Uh, for some of these other stories, maybe it's just not as important as it should be in order to get that time in. And sometimes I just randomly choose something. Because I just felt like it in the moment. Sometimes I kind of get off track, just get completely off track and, and go down a different road altogether and get back up on my uh, soapbox and will basically repeat the same kind of message that I've repeated a dozen, a hundred, a thousand times before, depending on how long you've been listening to the show. 
if it has something to do with the Constitution, if it has something to do with liberty and actual individual freedoms, then I tend to say a lot of the same things because these things haven't changed. The principles that I believe in haven't changed. The principles that these things were built on haven't changed. You just have a lot of folks who want to believe that they should. Therefore, it requires a refresher. It requires somebody saying the truth one more time. And that is something that I try to do more frequently than not. And sometimes the truth is that criminals get hurt when they resist arrest. The truth is sometimes innocent people get hurt as the police try to do their jobs in an effort to subdue criminals, to stop criminality. It's a shame. It can be tragic. But it does not mean that the police are bad. It does not mean that the police are racist, that the people who get hurt in the process happen to be someone of color. And that's why this next story is worth talking about, because the Biden administration's Justice Department, well, it remains committed to looking at, quote, every possible civil rights violation that could have happened that led to the death of Breonna Taylor, end quote. That's more than two years after the controversial shooting, and uh, this was a statement that was made by an uh, attorney that's made quite a name for himself, Mr. Ben Crump. Now, if you'll recall, the Breonna Taylor shooting was an instance where we got a lot of misinformation early on. In fact, I was stuck uh, with all the reports that were available, the best information I had. It just wasn't accurate. But I was on here, I was on board the, the bandwagon. When, when I had the same information that most folks had available, this shooting of Breonna Taylor seemed to be very criminal in and of itself. But later on, as more truth came out about the situation, less of the intentional misreporting and less of the unintentional misreporting, but actual facts from the situation became public knowledge yet not reported. As there was more information to sort through, the more and more this became still a tragic situation for Brianna, uh, but not this horrific incident and not criminal action on the part of the police officers. We heard that this was a no-knock warrant, and as it turns out, they did knock. We had heard, we were told that they had the wrong address, and it turns out that wasn't the case. We had heard that Brianna Taylor was shot dead in her bed while she was still asleep, and that was not true. We heard all these crazy things that, yes, if you heard that and you believed them all to be true, then it was like, oh my goodness, how could these people be allowed to carry a gun and a badge? I, I still wasn't getting racist from what had happened, but then since I'm often accused of being one, why would I know the dog whistles, right? You know, I here you are, cisgender male, Tim, shut up. You don't know anything about it. Okay, but uh, I'm going to say I'm a little bit old school, and I'm going to say that, hey, you know what? Racism to me is when somebody uh, believes themselves to be superior to someone else simply because of their race. 
and that sometimes racism will it will show up when somebody in a position of authority can in a very discriminatory fashion cause harm to an individual because they're not part of the same race. And, of course, you have a lot of people that want to say, well, racism, racism, racism. America was founded on racism. There's no way to get rid of racism in America without destroying all, all of the systems with all of everything that exists within the federal government, everything to do with the Constitution, everything to do with the Declaration of Independence. It's all got to go. Burn the system down completely in, in favor of what? I would like to ask, but, you know, that's that's just me wondering out loud. The point now that officers have been, you know, let off the hook in the Breonna Taylor shooting, now that it's been made clear that uh, while, again, still tragic, Breonna Taylor got shot and died that night, that it wasn't criminal action on the part of the police officers that led to this. And it wasn't racism that led to this. I mean, there's a reason why the boyfriend who shot at the police first survived the incident and has not faced charges himself. He's getting to walk free because he lived in a neighborhood where violent crimes happened. Brianna Taylor had dated drug-dealing people in the past who were not happy with the situation with the new boyfriend. They lived in a community where, in order to protect himself in his home, he needed that firearm. And when they came busting in, somehow or another, they missed the fact that they had announced themselves as police officers. Or they just didn't believe that they were police officers. Because guess what? If you honestly live in a neighborhood like this, but you honestly believe that somebody dangerous is going to be showing up at your door, going to bust down your door, going to come in with guns blazing, which guns were not blazing until Brianna Taylor's boyfriend started shooting. And if you believe you're in that kind of a neighborhood, why wouldn't the bad guys bang on the door and say, police, police, open up, and then just go ahead and shoot you in the, shoot you in the head? That is something bad guys will do. He managed to convince enough people that this was the situation, and that's why he started firing. And if this really is as bad as this neighborhood is and the circumstances and the, the ex-boyfriend of Brianna Taylor was really that bad, then I don't blame the guy for shooting first and asking questions later. But it was still he who fired first, and it was the police who returned to fire, and it was Brianna Taylor who was essentially used as a human shield for the boyfriend that's the primary reason she got killed. None of the things we heard to begin with were true. But even two years after this terrible event, we now see that there is still an effort by the Biden Justice Department to still look for civil rights violations. Now, Crump, the attorney that we just mentioned, Ben Crump, and Taylor's mother, uh, Tamika Palmer, they met with representatives of the Department of Justice just this past Monday, more than 700 days after Taylor died in the crossfire between police officers and Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker. Quoting here, they affirm that they are looking under every stone 
for possible rights violations in the case. Basically, they're not happy that the officers basically were uh, not sent to prison. They wanted these people sent to prison for, once again, doing their job. Once shots are fired in their direction, they don't know who's shooting. They don't know why they're shooting. They don't know who else might get shot outside. Their job is to protect the public. And in this case, once somebody's willing to start firing at them, the best way to protect the public is to take them out. Now, it's a harsh truth that nobody likes to hear, and it's not racist. No matter how many people try to tell you that it is, it's not racist to identify this as the situation. I mean, we're constantly being told now. We were talking back in the first hour about a story uh, where we're going to no longer in the city of Philadelphia uh, follow freaking vehicular traffic code because of racism. It's like everything is racist. But now we have 700 days after Brianna's death. And I will say her name. Brianna Taylor should be alive today. George Floyd should be alive today. But it was not solely the actions of the police officers involved in these incidents that led to their death. And until you can acknowledge that, until you can admit that there is a more nuanced situation than just, oh, racist cops killed them, then there's no point in us talking. You might as well just tune off this show. Go listen to something else that's going to give you your uh, biased confirmation that you want to hear. The truth of the matter here is while there may have been some room for the police to have improved their actions and done a better job, there may very well have been, it's still not as though they were simply acting out of the blue. They didn't just swoop in because they were hunting black folks this day. That is the story we keep being told by some of the race baiters who want to keep us separate. Who want to keep you hating me just because I'm white, no matter what I'm saying. Who wants to try and convince you that everything that I'm saying right now comes from a place of white privilege and white supremacy. Well, I can tell you, I have very little privilege. And I'm not a supremacist of any kind. Now, naturally, no matter if I was or wasn't, that's what you'd expect me to say in this position, right? So I understand if you're skeptical, but if you go back and listen to me long enough, you're going to hear plenty of times where I've gotten worked up, fired up, emotional, and said things that are going to sound rough and brutish and unpleasant. But if you really listen and pay attention to that and the other times where I stay calm, then you're going to understand that that emotion comes from a place of concern, genuine concern for all of my fellow human beings. And that has to be the place where we all meet together for common ground purposes. If you can meet me there, then you can understand how I might occasionally say something you disagree with and still not be your enemy. You shouldn't consider me your enemy just because I say something, A, you don't like, or B, you just disagree with. You might want to consider me your enemy if you are actively fighting to destroy this republic. If you're actively engaged in criminal behavior that's targeting people in a harmful manner. But if you don't fall into one of those two categories, 
And there may be another category, and if I think of it later, I'll share it. But if you don't fall into one of those two categories, I don't look at you as an enemy. And you shouldn't look at me as your enemy. Now, rumors have been swirling around after the March 2020 shootout took place as members of the Louisville Metro Police Department served a warrant at Taylor's apartment due to her alleged connection to a suspected drug dealer. Many of those tales were spread by Crump, the attorney, uh, according to one of the officers involved in the raid, retired LMPD Sergeant John Mattingly. Now, Crump fits the model of a, quote, grim defense attorney who seems to sniff out the national stories that can make him a buck, get him some screen time, and gain him some more notoriety. Uh, this, according to Mattingly, that he wrote in his brand new book being published over at the brand new Daily Wire publishing house. Twelve Seconds in the Dark, a police officer's first town account of the Brianna Taylor's raid. He also continued writing about this attorney. said, quote, uh, he gets on TV like a televangelist and piggybacks on tragedies these families are going through. Crump made his usual rounds on national television making false and slanderous allegations about the events of March 13 and the officers involved. He started a false narrative that Breonna Taylor was asleep in her bed when she was killed. He said we didn't knock or announce, and in fact, he claimed we changed our story from no knock to knock and announced to fit our narrative. He claimed they called 911 as they were as we were busting down the door, which is an absolute lie. He said that we were in plain clothes, which is true, but it's misguided because he leaves out the fact that we were clearly identified as police with raid vests. Crump claimed that we were at the wrong house and the suspect we were looking for was already in custody. 100% lies. All 100% lies that was uh, parroted by every major media news source, including conservative outlets, because it was the only information that we had at the time. Some of which... I spouted at the time. As soon as more new information, truthful information was available, I tried to correct it right then and there. But I will freely admit, I, like a lot of other people, were given this information. And as it turns out, this was all fabrication from this attorney. But the reporters covering the story just took what he said and ran it like it was fact, like it had been corroborated, like it had been sourced and triple-checked and multiple sources had said yes. In fact, it was reported that way quite frequently. Now, Mattingly concludes in his writing, Crump is very good at trying tragedies and injustices together to skew the narrative and hype up a crowd. And evidently he is. Now Walker shot Manningly in the leg, and as he opened the door, Manningly sets the record straight in his book, as well as an exclusive interview with the author uh, over at the Daily Wire. So again, I'm going to recommend you go visit and check that out. Kentucky's Attorney General 
similarly blasted Crump's sensationalist manner after a grand jury dismissed charges against every police officer involved in the shooting except wanton endangerment charges against Brett Hankinson. Quoting here uh, from Cameron, again, the Kentucky Attorney General, Daniel Cameron. This is Ben Crump's model. He goes into a city, creates a narrative, cherry-picks facts to establish, to prove that narrative, creates chaos in the community, misrepresents the facts, and then he leaves with his money, and then asks the community to pick up the pieces. It is terribly offensive on his part to push such narratives, such falsehoods. Now, a jury of his peers found Hankerson not guilty of wanton endangerment earlier this month. They returned the verdict in just three hours. Hankinson himself testified that when he heard gunshots fired in the apartment, he believed Walker was executing his fellow officers. But Crump said that he's found a receptive audience in the Biden administration, saying, quote, we got an affirmation from the Department of Justice is not just swayed with what happened with state charges. So at a joint press conference, Tamika Palmer said, quote, the most important thing is to remember that Brianna didn't deserve this. Mattingly, again, the police officer, who expressed deep compassion for, for Taylor's family in the book, agrees that Taylor did not deserve her fate. But he blames her boyfriend, Walker, for opening fire unprovoked, then leaving his girlfriend alone as police returned fire while he dove into an adjacent bedroom like a coward. That's what's in the book. So here's the real question, though, boys and girls. Should the Biden administration be so determined to still find something? Is this a case where virtue signaling is more important than justice? Because to continue to go after these officers in this case, at this point, knowing what we know is actual fact, knowing that there's a lot of people out there that only know what this attorney is telling them, they don't know the facts. Because there was actually a controversy over this book to the point that it was supposed to be published over a year ago, but the publishing house there uh, got so worked up by the employees there that they... they threatened to walk out, so they ended up having to cancel the book. So again, thank God for the Daily Wire. I mean, every day, thank God for the Daily Wire, thank God for the Blaze, thank God for uh, the Daily Caller, for Breitbart News, for the Gateway Pundit, for a list that goes on and on and on. Thank God these uh, platforms exist that are trying to bring you the truth and trying to bring you things that other people are trying to cancel. And that's why I give a lot of props to the Daily Wire, maybe more so than the others, because they are intentionally going after folks who the left is trying to cancel for whatever reason. And whether they agree with them or not, they're like, we believe the answer to bad speech is more speech. We believe that you should have the opportunity to say what you have to say. This is an important story and better understanding where Black Lives Matter Incorporated 
uh, operates, the headspace they operate in, and the fact that it's been made quite clear, if you're paying attention, that BLM Incorporated has simply been bilking money away from people who have genuine concerns about their communities. It's been made pretty clear, pretty obvious. The so-called leadership of the BLM at the uh, national and international levels really are only concerned about one thing. How much money can you give and how much of that can they put in their own pockets? It's happened time and time again. So here we are. The Biden administration, we're determined that we're going to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. It has to be that. We're not just going to take a list of uh, highly qualified people and and look at it and say, okay, well, who's the best qualified? Who's going to do the best? No, no, no. Uh, we're just going to take a short list of who we believe to be qualified based on uh, the activism we want from them uh, that happen to be black and female. Uh, nobody else need apply. It's unconstitutional, technically, but, uh, you know, nobody's calling them out on that business. The Biden administration does seem to believe it's more important, way more important, that we have virtue signaling than actual virtue. With that, let's take the mid-hour break. I'll be right back after this. Don't go anywhere, please. I'm Ron Edwards, host of The Edwards Notebook. And you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap into the Truth. The leftist Democrat legislators in Maryland have sunk to a new depth of moral depravity. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Just when you thought the Democrats could not get more depraved, they always figure out a way to sink to a new low. The Maryland Democrat legislature is hoping to pass a bill that would legalize murdering little babies up to 28 days after they are born. If the Maryland Democrats have their depraved way, a female cannot be investigated for cruelty or neglect, no matter how she decides to murder her baby, whether through starvation or other more physical, brutal methods. In fact, the Maryland Democrats hope to make it so that if the police do investigate the murder of a baby, the bill being pushed by Maryland Democrats gives the baby's killer the right to sue the police. For example, if the female decided to starve her baby and grew tired of hearing the hungry baby cry and choke the baby to death, police would be restricted from investigating. The immoral death march of Democrats must be stopped before they literally kill our republic. I'm Ron Edwards. For Constitutional Grounds Coffee, simply go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Tim Tapp, host of Tap into the Truth.
This year, just like every other year over the past 15 years, February came and went, and once again I had very little interest in Black History Month. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. This year, I took the time to figure out why I have blown off Black History Month in recent years. So I logically concluded that as it is now presented, Black History Month is quite detrimental because it no longer celebrates great historic achievements of individuals like Louis Latimer, who created the filament for Thomas Edison's light bulb, making it practical for long-term use, or others who achieved mightily and sought to become a part of the American fabric. But now Black History Month is nothing more than an extension of the 1619 Project that only focuses on blacks as victims of American society and is totally void of inspirational stories of real heroes whose lives could inspire today's young Americans to greatness rather than convince them that they cannot succeed. I'm Ron Edwards. For Constitutional Grounds Coffee, the coffee you want in your cup, simply go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Our Constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. We the people are free. Just a song before I go to What in the hell's diversity? Well, I I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome when we live in our dreams. Whether that dream is a nightmare or not, uh, that's up to you. But everything is awesome. Absolutely awesome, because there's so many things going on. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that, uh, uh, well, I would say very brief break, but I guess it wasn't that brief after all. It took a few minutes. But thanks for still being here. I appreciate it. would like to invite you to please visit me over at tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P, into the truth, all one word, dot com. And, uh, you know, just come see everything I've got going on over there. You can find uh, everything in the archives. You can find... Uh, good links to whatever your favorite podcast platform may be, all these other wonderful things, including banners and buttons that will take you to great companies uh, like My Patriot Supply and Blue Coolers and Flavor and Fire, and, of course, uh, links to the upcoming soon-to-be-released Again, I swear, English really is my first language. Soon to be released, a brand new book from A.J. Rice, The Woking Dead. Uh, You'll find links to the pre-order page there. And uh, I will once again remind everybody that I will be making an announcement for giveaways uh, at the end of this month or at the very beginning of next month. We'll, We'll have time. Still trying to work out a few finalized details. And quite honestly, I'm still having a hard time trying to figure out how I'm going to be able to give folks in various platforms a fair opportunity to be representational of those platforms. Like if you listen at iHeartRadio, I'd like for you to have a specific opportunity ahead of, uh, say, a second listener over 
at uh, Apple, uh, Apple Podcast. But if you're at Google Podcast, you should have an equal opportunity as everybody over at Stitcher and so on and so forth. And I want to make sure that anybody listening at the last frequency has a fair opportunity to be a winner and uh, get one of these books as a giveaway. And same thing with the folks that are listening at KYAH 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority, and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. I'm going to have several books to give away. I want to make sure that uh, folks have an opportunity to do it. But I also want to make sure that we can boost listenership and boost sharing. And, and so working these out, I know it's going to involve social media and want to make sure that you're able to uh, promote the book, the show, and uh, that I can track reasonable uh, how much uh, we're, we're doing this. And, and all these things come into play. So the official giveaway uh, rules, if you will, We'll be announcing them soon. In the meanwhile, uh, let's ease back in. I, I, I've got a bit of a theme going uh, in this second hour because we're, we're talking about this perception that racism is the defining characteristic of the United States of America. And uh, naturally, I do not believe that to be the case. But uh, over the course of the last few days... Uh, uh, Ellie Mistal has been making the rounds. Uh, he had a very interesting visit over at uh, The View. He spent some time on MSNBC recently, too. In fact, some of the things he's been saying are intentionally outlandish. Now, if you've ever seen this guy before, he kind of looks like, and this was a comparison that I literally made on Ron's show earlier today, uh, <laughs> that he looks like somebody that, uh, was an escapee from uh, <laughs> he was an escapee from Don King's uh, hair salon. Uh, he's he's got that look, all right. And that in and of itself, it sets him apart a little bit. He stands out, and he actually has a, a very loud, boisterous attitude, and he likes to have fun with what he's saying. And, and based on the personality that I see, he seems like the kind of guy that'd be fun to hang out with. He's knowledgeable about stuff. He's mistaken and just flat out wrong about a lot of this stuff, but he puts things into a term where he's trying to make sure that everybody can get a chuckle but also will end up feeling like they kind of have to agree with him. He uses the knowledge that he does have and then that personality of his to kind of force you, uh, almost strong arm you into agreeing with him. Now, he is the kind of guy, obviously, I feel like if I was hanging out with him, I don't know that he would be willing to hang out with me, so don't get me right. I don't want to make it seem like we could be buddy-buddy, but on my side, I would. I think he would be fun. I think he's exactly the kind of guy that'd be great to hang out with. I would love the opportunity if I didn't feel like I was going to be the punchline for the majority of what he had to say all night when he's talking to the rest of whoever's there. I, I, I like what seems to be his sense of humor and also where he goes with things. I, I really do enjoy people with that type of uh, personality. He, he's a very outgoing guy. But he's been saying a lot of crazy stuff, and you know, he was talking about how uh, states' rights shouldn't exist on a multitude of topics. Uh, this was while he was over at The View. That uh, he could rewrite the Constitution. Somebody should rewrite the Constitution because it, there weren't any black and brown people that were involved with uh, its creation which that is historically inaccurate, just as an FYI. There were 
multiple black and brown people that were involved in the rioting and the resolution. He said a lot of things that uh, made it pretty clear that he wasn't trying to make a distinction between the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. He's supposed to be a constitutional scholar, however. He's got a brand new book out. That's why he's been making these rounds. But uh, the two topics that he's been talking about, obviously he's trying to push his new book. Uh, uh, Please allow me to retort. Uh, a, a black guy's guide to the Constitution. And, you know, okay, fair enough. But some of the things that he said when it's come to uh, Judge Jackson, Biden's selection for nominee to the Supreme Court, he's been saying a lot of things there, too. He basically said that Josh Hawley was trying to get her killed. And I'm wondering, Josh Hawley simply pointed out that she's extremely soft on sexual predators, especially pedophilic sexual criminals. All you have to do is look at her, uh, her cases, and that becomes pretty clear. I promise you, he was not trying to get Judge Jackson killed. But he also said, uh, when he was on MSNBC, that the hardest part of the hearings is going to be for the judge herself not to just go up and punch Republicans. Uh, Reading here from the article, MSNBC guest Ms. Stow, who also serves as justice correspondent at The Nation, said on Saturday that the hardest part of the Supreme Court justice nominee, uh, Ms. Brown-Jackson's hearing for her, would likely be reframing from punching Republicans in the mouth. Joined uh, host Tiffany Cross on The Cross Connection, uh, where he argued that Jackson's credentials were impeccable and that the only things any Republicans had against her were racism and disgusting innuendo. Uh, I'm going to take exception with that. I think the whole uh, sex predators and the uh, pedophilic sex predators uh, is of concern. And I think that's certainly not based on racism and certainly not based on innuendo. It's based on her track record with these cases in front of her during uh, the court finally, where she was the judge. I, I can see where a reasonable person can make an argument that that is not racist. According to a Mediate report, Mediate, I love those guys, uh, Cross began the segment by asking Mastow what he expected to come out of the hearings, which, of course, are started, uh, scheduled to start on Monday. So by the time a lot of you hear this on terrestrial radio, that uh, will already be underway. And then she suggested uh, that what Republicans were angling for was a viral moment that they could use to smear Judge Jackson in the court of public opinion. And uh, it's just, Mastel said that uh, the hardest thing for her, the biggest challenge, is going to be not punching a Republican in the mouth. Now, for me, if that is the hardest thing for an individual to do, then they don't have the temperament to be a judge. Again, if the Republicans 
for a second we're going to pull the same kind of shenanigans in the hearing process that we see the leftists do against conservative judges when they're being nominated, then, yeah, that might be kind of tough to keep your feelings under wraps enough to avoid just going up and smacking the crap out of somebody. The taste is coming out of someone's mouth. And yet, after we've seen what happened to Amy Coney Barrett and after we saw what happened uh, previous to that, we saw a lot of people say a lot of things. And it was not difficult at any point in time for these folks to avoid going and punching a Democrat in the mouth. We saw some genuine anger. We saw some genuine concern about the reputation being dragged through the mud, the damage and hurt it was causing their families because of these stories, these imaginings from those who simply want to believe that all Republicans want to bring us to the handmaid's tale. And I have yet to figure out how that's even on their minds, except for the fact that some of them seem to have uh, subscriptions to Hulu. That is how they know this work of art called The Handmaid's Tale. It's a novel for those of you who would actually like to go read and learn something. You would also see that the left is far more inclined to actually be engaged in the type of total totalitarianism that existed, despite the fact that it was an effort to create a theocracy. That's the only part where the leftist would be against. Although I wouldn't put leftist, uh, wouldn't put put it past leftist to pretend to be looking to install a theocracy if they thought there were enough religious folks that would follow it. But he basically said that Judge Jackson uh, had been on the court for nine years, arguing that Republicans were not contesting her decisions in hundreds and hundreds of cases and were not making substantive legal arguments about her actual decision-making process. I'm going to refer you back to Josh Hawley and all these cases where she seems to be really, really soft on sex crimes against children. I think that that is her decisions in cases. Anyway, he continued to say that all they've got is the racism. They want to know about the LSAT scores. Now, uh, Tucker Carlson brought that up the other day in case you're wondering where that came from. Tucker Carlson wanted to know uh, how smart she was as she was going into law school. Now, again, uh, Tucker is not always the shining example of what conservative uh, journalism should be, but he is a commentator. He's an opinion guy. And I will still... 80% uh, of the time put Tucker Carlson up against anybody on the left and uh, say I'm probably going to end up siding with Tucker. On the occasions that I don't agree with Tucker, I'm going to be able to say, all right, well, I don't agree with that, but guess what? Tucker's right still most of the time. Uh, well, let's let him keep doing his job. I don't think an LSAT score is really going to, to make a huge difference at this stage in the game. I think her actual record speaks much louder volumes. But it's cute that they brought it up just because they wanted to throw out a smear against Tucker Carlson. We referred to him as being racist multiple times. I, I've watched Tucker for a while now. I, I don't think he's racist. You keep using this word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Mistel continued referencing criticisms directly uh, primarily at Joe Biden for his outright statements that he was going to choose a black woman 
to the exclusion of all other demographics. Some of them are going to ask her while she's not sad that good white people weren't considered for the job. That's literally what they have. So basically, there's all this. And then he pivoted to address Josh Hawley, who raised questions earlier this week about her record in dealing with child pornography and sex offender cases. And he said, quote, but like, that's the challenge will just be keeping her cool because if she keeps her cool, which I'm sure she'll do, we're talking about a high school debate champion and, you know, a person who has prepared her whole life for these four days. As long as she keeps her cool, she should do fine because she's so eminently qualified and impeccably credentialed that they don't really have anything on her. Now, the White House has responded to Holly's accusations, saying that they amounted to toxic and weakly presented misinformation that relies on taking cherry-picked elements of her record out of context. I don't think it was taken out of context. But this, the fact that this guy is a constitutional scholar, you know, the same way that Barack Hussein Alu Akbar Obama was a constitutional scholar, you have to study it. If you want to dismantle it, you can't expect to end it if you don't know what's in it. If you just if you want some entertainment value, I highly recommend you go back and see what all this guy had to say over the last few days. And meanwhile, that's going to have to be it for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for being here. As always, remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Meanwhile, stay safe out there if you can. Stay healthy if at all possible and uh, be smart, even if it goes against your nature. I'm out. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, let's go, hey. let's go, using both hands Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep 